Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Natalie Dignam. Today I'm talking with Jess Puddister. Jess and her partner Tim Ward started building a tiny house in 2015 in response to unstable job security in Newfoundland and a desire to reduce their carbon footprint. Jess wants to incorporate traditional Newfoundland homesteading practices into her daily life and raise her future kids with a focus on nature and self-sufficiency. Jess was born in Buren, raised in St. John's, and has roots in St. Mary's Bay in the Southern Shore. She completed her BSc in Earth Science at Dalhousie University in 2013 and has since worked in the environmental science industry in both the private and not-for-profit sector. Jess taught English in Japan for a year, and this experience helped inform their minimalist lifestyle. Jess and Tim are looking forward to getting back to the basics once they secure a property for their tiny home. Welcome to the show, Jess. Thanks for having me, Natalie. So uh, you have been working on building a tiny house, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So I guess my first question is for people who don't know, what is a tiny house? So a tiny house is generally defined as a dwelling that's under 500 square feet. Um, They can take many different shapes and forms and styles and architectures, Um, but there's a lot of TV shows on, on about them now, so often you'll see them designed so that they can go on the road, so they're more long than they are wide, but yeah, they're, yeah. Really cool. So is there, because uh, I think a lot of the TV shows stress like a certain lifestyle that goes along with tiny houses. You're not just living in a small space. It's also has some other components of like why people are building tiny houses. So Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that some form of minimalism is usually tied to tiny house living because you just simply don't have the space to hold on to lots of material possessions. Um, but I think in general, a lot of people who live in tiny houses also enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors. Um, and by limiting their indoor living space, they can spend more attention, time, and money on developing their outdoor living space. And you said, too, like uh, like some of them are mobile and some of them aren't mobile. Uh, so is your tiny house mobile or is it? So ours is up, built on wheels, um, but the intention is not for it to be mobile. Um, a lot of people who've built tiny houses have have put them on wheels, not because they want to be continuously moving, um, be, but because it's sort of like a loophole that gets them around um, zoning regulations and bylaws. So having it on wheels stops it being governed by um, building code, and it uh, kind of defers it to being governed by the Department of Transportation. Um so we started our build that way simply because we didn't own land when we started mm-hmm. building. But our intention is to drop the wheels off and anchor it to the ground with either helical piles or concrete piles. Um, and I think a good question to ask is, what does your? can you describe your tiny house? Yeah, so we're looking at a, a home that's about 30 feet long, 8.5 feet wide, and 13.5 feet tall. Um, when you come in the front door, which is located on one of the long walls, You come in and it's a full height ceiling, it's really spacious, and then on both the left and the right side there are loft bedrooms, Um, and then under the left hand side loft there is the living room area, and under the right hand side loft will be the bathroom and part of the kitchen, but part of the kitchen also opens up into that full height center section. So yeah, and on the outside um, we've got 12 windows, so tons of natural light. 
and we used a traditional Japanese method of preserving wood siding. So we used wooden, a spruce wooden clapboard, and we charred it with a torch, and then brushed off the ashes and sealed it with a natural oil, tongue oil, um, and it gives this really beautiful um, kind of ambery dark hue, um, and it changes depending on the light. I really like it. And you've also spent time in Japan, and so that kind of influenced um, like your minimalist aspects of your tiny house and obviously aesthetically too. So could you talk a little bit about that and being in Japan and how that... Oh yeah, definitely. So, you know, before we went to Japan, we definitely were thinking about a lot of these like things and ways of living. But when we actually got there, we, we were able to practice some of it. Um, our apartment in Japan was about 180 square feet. So that works out to like around half of what our tiny house is. And, um, you know, we, it was a little bit intimidating at first. I'm definitely not going to lie. Like when we first got there, I arrived and I was going to start teaching in a couple days and I was like kind of in a panic. I was like, how are we going to live in this tiny little space for a year? Um, and I even like approached the head teacher at my school and was like, maybe we should look at some different options. Um, and she's like, we can, but like, you know, loads of people live in apartments this size here and you might surprise yourself. And I, I agreed with her. I was like, you're probably right. So I gave it a few weeks, and it was fine. It was totally fine. We spent almost all our time, you know, out hanging out with friends at cafes, at the park, going on day trips. We were just way more prone to go out and interact with the world and live our lives rather than being cooped up indoors. And it wasn't because we didn't enjoy our indoor space. It was just that, like, intentionally facilitating a smaller living space modifies your behavior in a way that you want it to. So th- that was a really cool part about living in Japan. So in that apartment, did you have like a full kitchen and a full bathroom and like a shower and everything? Yep. So, I mean, technically, yeah. I'm not sure if anyone in North America would look at it and consider it full. <laughs> but like we had one burner to cook on. It was an induction burner. And we had a full-size kitchen sink and then like two shelves above that and cupboards under the sink for like cleaners and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And the bathroom was really interesting. It was a wet bath. So it was this one-piece, like, plastic unit that included the toilet, the sink, and the bathtub. And the floor was, like, slightly graded so that any water would, like, drain away. Um, And the faucet for the sink would actually swivel, and um, it was a dual-purpose faucet, so you could fill up the sink or the bathtub with the one faucet. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really clever stuff. And in your in your tiny house, um, you have everything that you would have. Do you guys have like a full range stove? Because it is a, a little bigger. So how have yeah. you incorporated all so, those things? I, I don't think that we're going to buy the same kind of appliances that, you know, you would find in a standard house in North America, simply because I think they're a bit excessive. I've never mm-hmm. used four, four burners on a stove at simultaneously in my life. You know, maybe three on occasion, probably two most days yeah so we're probably going to try and find a three burner stove and there's a lot of really neat models of appliances um particularly in in europe and in places like new york where they've had to accommodate um you know really tiny apartments so it's not that different from uh the needs in in micro apartments and yeah same for a fridge when we were in japan we had a little bar fridge and at first, we were just like, how is this going to work? Because we're accustomed to going shopping and buying, you know, a week and a half, two weeks worth of groceries mm-hmm. and living off that until we run out and then going back. 
Um, but when you have a smaller fridge, it forces you to go shopping more frequently and you actually end up eating better because the ingredients are fresher and you only buy what you need. So there's less waste. So there was a lot of really positive spin-offs from limiting our space or our usable space in the kitchen. Um, and it also just, you know, interacting with people at the local grocery store was really fun and interesting. And you get to build relationships with people there and have conversations. And I don't think that happens all the time in North America necessarily. So I'd really like to be able to kind of recreate that or, and, you know, help contribute to not just the development of our tiny house, <coughs> but also community-based living and encouraging people to, you know, uh, start up independent grocers and small little coffee shops and cafes and more of like a, like a European village style of living. I think that a lot of people would really like that here. Yeah. Um, and you, you also talked about, uh, yeah, like getting out into the community and, uh, how tiny houses are kind of catching on, I guess, with the TV shows and stuff like that. And do you think people are, this is becoming more popular in North America? Like, are there, are you finding more resources? Oh my goodness. Yes. A hundred percent. Like when we started this in 2015, there was a lot, like there was a lot of resources available to research, but when we came back from Japan um, in, I guess it would be last year, 2017, um, and I started researching again because it was time to get going on our build, there was so much more. <laughs> it was kind of overwhelming. It was just like, whoa, there's so many options. So many people have come up with clever storage solutions and like beautiful designs and architecture. Like it's just, it's overwhelming what people have been able to do and create with tiny houses and it's so exciting it's just like it feels like it's limitless you can do whatever suits you and whatever would fit in with your community and why do you think this has uh really like connected with people now like what are what is the reason that people are getting into it and i guess uh maybe some people think tiny houses oh if i was alone i could do that but mm-hmm. i think uh you know it's a trend that people with families might build a tiny house now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we intend on having a family, for sure. Um, I think one of the big drivers is due to the fact that our built environment has been facilitating feelings of isolation. I think that um, the way that subdivisions are developed are car-centric, and they're, mm-hmm. they're focused more on, you know, the white picket fence, American dream, whatever you want to call it. Um, which I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with. You know, when we started, before we hatched the idea to build a tiny house, we were looking around to buy a house like anyone else our age. And I just couldn't really see myself living in this giant house on a big wide street and not really being able to easily interact with my neighbors. Um, and so, yeah, the, the tiny house lifestyle, I think, brings people back together. Um, and I think that's a missing piece in a lot of people's lives right now. Like we're all so connected to our screens. And I remember talking to a gentleman not too long ago and he was telling me that in his home, he and his wife and his two kids are often all in different rooms in their house and they'll communicate to each other through their cell phones. So like not only are they not interacting face to face, but they're not, they're not even behaving like a family, you know? Like I think there's a big piece of, community and family life that sort of 
drifting away. And mm. I think that having a smaller um, house footprint can can it, like at least attempt to address a piece of that. Yeah, and I've seen different versions of this too. Like in San Francisco, they're building what they call adult dorms that have yeah. community spaces in it because everyone living in their separate apartments are feeling that kind of isolation. Yeah. So it's very interesting how this manifesting differently in different places and that kind of leads me to ask like what what is the tiny house um situation in newfoundland right now Mm -hmm. has it really uh caught on and and yours is a little different than i think in an urban place you talked about kind of the outdoor connection so i'm interested in that as well like how are you guys planning on functioning are you going to be growing your own food or anything like that yeah so we would we would really like to be in a smaller town um but Realistically, it may have to be within commuting distance to St. John's for either one of us to work. Um, but that's definitely the, in- the intention. I'd like to have you know a piece of property that's at least three quarters of an acre so we can have veggie gardens and we can keep some hens and sort of incorporate some homesteading pieces into our lifestyle. Um, so yeah, that's what that's what our plan is. Um, however, I think that there's a big demand for tiny houses in a lot of different settings in Newfoundland, both urban and rural, and suburban even. Um, so I, I think that people can anticipate, you know, a growth in this sector of housing in the next couple of years. I know, you know, I started a Facebook group for tiny houses in Newfoundland just in May, I guess, and there's over 300 members in there. And I haven't done any promoting or anything like that. Like, it's just requests coming in on the daily. So Wow. And if people are interested in that, what is that Facebook group called? Um, it's called Tiny Houses and Alternative Dwellings NL. Okay. I believe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and before we get into kind of the, the logistics of having a tiny house in Newfoundland, because I know you've been dealing with that, um, I'd be interested for people who don't really know, what are homesteading, like Newfoundland homesteading practices? Like, what are the specific things that you guys are trying to incorporate into your lifestyle there? So... You know, I think we want to have a field for root veggies, you know, like potatoes, cabbage, onions, carrots, that kind of stuff, um, because those things grow really well here. And it's really important to cater to your climate and cater to your soil type and that kind of thing. Um, We'd also like to have a greenhouse, though, to to grow peppers and tomatoes and herbs and that kind of thing. Um, But again, like a big part of Newfoundland homesteading is foraging. So, you know, having a property that has wild berries on it having a property that can facilitate, like, chanterelles, mushrooms to harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also using nat- natural methods to uh, fertilize and boost soil fertility, as in, like, using kelp and capelin to, re- like, reinforce your soil. Um, so I'm not an expert in it in any means. I haven't really been able to practice it yet because I've sort of been... I've had no other option besides renting an apartment in the in someone else's house up to this point in my life. Um, So I haven't had the space to kind of explore and experiment. But I have a lot of friends who do have property and they are, um, you know, doing doing these sorts of things. And we're really looking forward to trying to find some older members of the community who can maybe um, provide some mentorship for us. So that's, we're really looking forward to that. That's really cool. And do you foresee, because we talked a little bit about, you know, like having just the mini fridge and just having what you need in there in terms of like when you're growing your own food uh like storage and especially root vegetables like root cellars so yeah so it would be amazing if we could get a property that had a little hill on it and we could dig a root cellar into it um and also like 
create like a cheese cave. You know, I would love to have a goat and be able to like get milk regularly and start making our own cheese and yogurt and ice cream. But of course, cheese needs to be aged. So yeah, so you got to have a little. But you're using utilizing your outdoor space, I guess, instead yes. of your indoor living yes. space. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah. Um. Did you grow up with, like, any sort of, like, of these skills being taught to you, or did you grow up really in a, a very different environment, and this is something you're learning as so an adult? So, I grew up in the east end of St. John's, like, pretty regular towny kid life. Um, but my mom's family is from St. Mary's Bay, and they would have grown up with this lifestyle. So, my grandfather would have kept, you know, cows and pigs and chickens, and they had vegetable gardens. He had a tractor. Um, so my mom would have grown up like surrounded by those skills and she would probably remember a lot of it if she tried her hand at it now. Um, but my partner, Tim comes from a really small rural town, um, in Placentia Bay. Uh, it's called Southeast Bight. And, um, the folks who live there are incredibly resourceful. They're still, um, you know, isolated with respect to the fact there's no road that goes there. So you have to take a ferry. Oh, Um, yep. So... You can't really hire someone to go do things for you regularly. So people just figure things out and they help each other and they, they're they really creative and they, they find solutions to things and they do have to take food security pretty seriously. So I think that there's a lot of knowledge that we can tap into um, from Tim's family. So I'm really looking forward to having those conversations. Yeah, and I think sometimes people... Uh, don't realize like uh, I'm I'm not from Newfoundland, uh, but learning about Newfoundland, how how quickly it's all changed within one generation here. Um, it's just it's just been so fast from ha- like growing your own food and uh, having a lot of those skills to just going to the grocery store. It's been so fast, and it's I kind of have two minds on it. Like in in one sense, it's very sad how how quickly that lifestyle has started to slip away, but. On the flip side of the coin, we're really fortunate that there are tons of people who still have all this knowledge that are living that we can talk mm-hmm. to. So we, we still have an opportunity to sort of like regain that knowledge, reclaim those skills, and continue practicing them now. So, yeah, it is it is really interesting, though. It's I'm not sure if there's anywhere else in Canada or North America that has seen such an abrupt change. I don't... Yeah, yeah I can... I can remember just how how much that stuck out to me. Like, wow, your grandparents grew up because my grandparents grew up, you know, taking the train into Boston, <laughs> taking the train <laughs> out, and uh, so it's it's definitely very different here. And there is so much more knowledge and like mm. the root cellars. Like, there's been a lot of research on that all around Newfoundland, and it's like those things are still we can still use those. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Um, so I did want to talk a little bit about, because uh, you're looking for a permanent home for your tiny house uh, and looking for a piece of land and kind of what are the, the challenges that you're facing? So the biggest challenge that we're facing is um, a minimum dwelling size bylaw that exists in a lot of municipalities. Um, we're certainly not facing any issues with respect to public opinion. Um, everyone I've ever, ever personally interacted with and told my story to, they've all loved it. And we, I get messages and emails from people I don't know, like really regularly, just saying like, you're doing awesome, I love your tiny house, like we really hope that you can live in your tiny house really soon, keep going. 
Um, and I mean, recently VOCM did a poll of the day, and I think there was, you know, maybe 3,600 people who voted, and 86% were in favor of including tiny homes in our existing communities. So, yeah, the biggest piece is that that bylaw. Interestingly enough, that bylaw doesn't exist in St. John's. So you can theoretically have a tiny house in St. John's right now, as long as it's to code and it follows all of the permitting and inspections processes. Um, However, the cost of land in St. John's is a bit prohibitive for us Mm -hmm. um, right now, particularly with respect to the fact that um, generally when people buy a home, they get a mortgage. And a mortgage has like a lower interest rate and you can you know, it's, it's in proportion with the cost of housing. Um, but you can't get a mortgage for vacant land. So we have to use a personal loan, um, which is fine, but you can, you know, with more than double the interest rate and limits on the volume of that loan, I don't think it would swing for a piece of land in St. John's. So it's tricky. Um, but there are so many good opportunities um, for for property in and around the metro area within like a 20 minute radius. So as you might have seen in the news, you know, we've been talking to Torbay, Pooch Cove. We also spoke to Flat Rock, Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. Um, I went to two like province-wide conferences in May um, to talk about this topic and interact with town staff and elected officials across the province about this. And there's it's on everyone's radar. Everyone's realizing, you know, like, tiny houses are not going away. They're here. People mm-hmm. want them. Um, we can't just ignore it and pretend like it's going to disappear. So municipalities are really needing to reassess the reasons why they have these bylaws, you know? Like, is it is it actually there for a reason with respect to safety or, you know, something of that nature? Or is it more of a dare I say, classist perspective on housing and, and how our communities are built. Um, I'm not sure. No one can really seem to give me an answer as to why those bylaws exist. But I think that they should be um, deleted. I don't see the point in having a minimum dwelling size bylaw. Um, again, as long as your house meets code and you know satisfies all the permitting and inspections that you would have to for any house. Yeah, so like uh like you said, like have have you been given any reasons why these bylaws might exist in these communities? Uh not a clear answer, no. There's some hypotheses for sure, but yeah. no one can actually say, no, this is the reason why. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like people have said, "Oh, well, we don't want people to rent out their sheds." Yeah. Which I get, but that's actually a completely different kettle of fish. You're like there's a different bylaw that would address that issue because um you're currently not allowed to have more than one dwelling per lot, right? So if you have your your house, that's your primary dwelling. If you have a shed in the backyard, that can't turn into another dwelling yep. because there's a there's a bylaw that says only one dwelling per lot. So I don't really see how that argument can tie into this minimum size thing. Um, nope. Yeah. No clear answer. <laughs> yeah, and I I saw one that was uh, like one possible reason was like some of the bylaws had a minimum size because then your your shed or like if you had a second building on your lot has to be smaller than the um your like primary dwelling like you were saying so it would be restrictive in in some ways to that like if you wanted to build a shed that was like 
bigger or the same size yeah. as your tiny and, house. And you're right. Like there are restrictions on how big your accessory accessory buildings yeah. can be in relation to your house and the overall property. Mm-hmm. However, a tiny house is on an accessory building. It's a primary dwelling. Yeah. Right? So it's a completely different category of um, building. <laughs> and you've done, uh, a, you guys have done a lot of work in like advocating and educating what tiny houses are and kind of meeting with town councils and stuff. So where, where are you now? Are you still looking for a property? We are. I mean, we had um, a property ready to go. We, we put in an offer on a piece of property in early June and... That was based on the advice I had received from municipal officials. Mm. When I started this advocacy a year ago, um, more than a year ago, last spring, um, I went in and gave a pretty thorough educational presentation on what a tiny house is and isn't and all of the benefits that can come from incorporating tiny houses into your community. And generally speaking, the presentation was really well received by everyone. Um, But... Fairly so. The advice that was given to me was, you know, come back to us when you have an offer on a piece of land. Come back to us when you can put in an application because then we know that you're serious and we can actually look at making these changes because why why would they invest their limited funds, limited resources into making these changes if we weren't actually serious? So Mm -hmm. I get that 100%. Um, But we followed that advice. That's what we did. And unfortunately, the rate of change in municipal government is not compatible with the the pace of real estate yeah so our offer you know the first offer we had in um was going to expire before we had a decision so we got an extension and then again there's still no decision so this second offer will now expire again and i don't think that the seller will extend it a third time um who knows what'll happen though i mean real estate's unpredictable it could sit untouched until September when Puchkov is saying they're willing to have amendments ready to go. Mm-hmm. So we could we could be lucky and still get to buy that piece of land. But if not, there's loads of pieces of land around. I mean, even at the council meeting where we were on Monday night um, to hear that they were deferring their decision again, there was an older gentleman in the gallery. And after the meeting had taken place, he, he approached Tim and I and just said, hey, you know, I own 30 acres Here's my number. Keep in touch. If, if you ever need a piece of land, let me know. And I think there's a lot of people around in Newfoundland like that who, who are sitting on lots of land. So I'm not concerned. We'll find a place for our tiny house, absolutely. And that's awesome because that does show really kind of like a base support for oh, goodness, yeah. this kind of lifestyle, yeah. for sure. And I'll say, too, you know, like the, the head of the um, development committee, that council member walked the street where our property was – our potential property was located and he knocked on all the doors and asked them what how they felt about the potential of there being a tiny house on their street and every single one of them said they were in support so that's that spoke volumes to me so so it looks like we are um almost done for today but i did want to mention before we finish that not only are you building uh well built your tiny house and are looking for a home for your tiny house um and all those great things, but you also work professionally in the environmental sector with the Conservation Corps here in Newfoundland, um, which is really cool because I'm there too this summer. Yeah. Uh, so it's awesome that that's kind of part of not just your professional life, but your personal life too. Definitely, yeah. We Tim and I both want to craft our lives so that we can live our values, and that that's 
both in in work and and how we carry our, our our daily tasks and that kind of thing so it's we feel very fortunate awesome thank you you're welcome i'm dale jarvis you've been listening to living heritage a production of chmr radio 93.5 in collaboration with the intangible cultural heritage office of the heritage foundation of newfoundland and labrador find us online at ichblog.ca or on itunes our heritage broadcast assistant is natalie dignam in partnership with the conservation corps newfoundland and labrador echo program We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.